Actually, it's easy to share the gospel with Catholics, especially those who are not very uh, educated in their Catholic beliefs, no? But we have a growing number of intelligent Catholics today, no? Who just doesn't accept everything we say, okay? So because they have their own beliefs and they believe that their beliefs are right, okay? And so there will be times we need to be able to understand how we can connect with them without offending their beliefs, okay? And later on, when the beliefs become the focus of discussion, how do we intelligently correct their beliefs, okay? So, as I told you, the Catholic, Catholic argumentations for its belief system can be very convincing, no? Kasi marami pong mga Protestants na nakuha ng mga Catholics, na convert sa Catholicism, <clears throat> including intelligent Protestants, okay? Uh, particularly in uh, Europe, no? Europe, and also in America. So, because the arguments are very persuasive if you don't understand the background and where it's coming from, okay? That's why we need to be educated because uh, right now I'm reaching out to intelligent Catholics here in Davao City through the Bible study in Ladislawa. So I met there all kinds of uh, people from different walks of life, um, most of them Catholics, and made them coming from the, you know, elite, okay? And uh, when they come to me to ask their questions, I'll be able to intelligently discuss with them, Vatican, ito yung Vatican, ito yung sinasabi sa Bible, ganyan, ganyan. So they say, Pastor, can you play for more? Clarity for me, ganyan yan sila sila. I'll have to internalize this. Okay, sure. Because it's done in a way that's non-offensive. We don't attack. We just say, okay, here's the comparison. So compare lang, okay? So it's up to you, okay? Uh, this is what the Bible says. This is what uh, the magisterium says or your catechism says. So it's up to you to compare. So I don't push, no? I let them give them time to process, no? Kasi... If they are hungry for the truth, the Lord will guide them to the truth. But you give them the right information. Ito yung mga intelligent Catholics who know how to defend their faith. Okay? So, we're going into our second part today. And last time we discussed uh, oral tradition. Okay? So, I think I convinced you of the authority of oral tradition last time. Okay? So, the Catholics are right that oral tradition precedes written tradition. And therefore, oral tradition is bigger than written tradition because what went into the New Testament documents were taken from oral tradition. But not everything in oral tradition came into the documents of the New Testament. As John wrote, there are other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book. If, they were, if all of them will be written down, not even the whole world will contain the books that will be written. So that means John is testifying by saying that, that there are so many things that Jesus taught, so many things he did, that if they were going to be written down in full detail, not even the whole world can contain the books that will be written. So we are not sure if John is exaggerating. <laughs> okay, is John exaggerating or is just saying the truth? I don't think there's nothing in the Gospel of John that gives us a hint that John is exaggerating when he said that. Because everything he reported, he wrote there, is really factual. Okay? So... So we don't know what are the, those other things. In the, in the book of Acts, for example, in chapter 20, we see that Paul quotes from one of the Lugia. Lugia are the circulating sayings of Christ. Lugia means word. Okay? 
The Logia refers to the circulating uh, teachings of Christ in, in the oral tradition. Okay, that Paul accessed because, of course, he was living during that time. Ano? So, nakarating rin sa kanya yung mga uh, spreading uh, collection of Jesus' teaching during his time, which was purely in the oral form, not yet in the written form. Okay, so maybe to give an example of that, let's go to Acts 20. Because this, we never find in the Gospels, and that's very interesting, no? but Paul says that Jesus said this, okay? And uh, for those of you who have read of this, verse, uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 35. This is the, sabi nga ng iba, this is the missing beatitude. Because <laughs> it's not recorded in the Gospels, okay? Here they Okay, in all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, whom He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, where in the four Gospels do you read that? Words of Christ. Where in the four Gospels? Well, yeah, not in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, where did Paul get this saying of Jesus? From oral tradition. Because Paul was not there with Jesus during his earthly ministry. So how could he have known? Just as our Lord Jesus said, I mean, sure talaga siya, ito siya nabi ng Lord. Pero he was not an eyewitness of Jesus' you know, life on earth. He was only an eyewitness of the resurrection. So how did you get to know this? It's not in the Gospel of Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew. Oral tradition. You call this the Logia. Scholars call that the Logia. Logia is a compilation of Jesus' oral teachings that have been handed down orally. So they remember the wordings, of original wordings of Christ because they memorized them. And, and handed them down in the form of collections. Okay? So this is one of those collections of Jesus' saying that we never find written in the four Gospels. So they are taken from oral tradition. Okay? Also, let's go to John chapter, yung, what I mentioned a while ago, in John chapter 21, verse 25. This is another testimony to the existence of oral tradition that did John considers authoritative. Okay? So, Jesus did made, did made other things. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole, this is the closing verse of the Gospel of John. The last verse in the Gospel of John. So, he's saying, I have so much to write about, but Sorry, <laughs> I don't think I can tell you everything. So this is the last verse of the Gospel of John, okay? I don't think it's exaggerating. I don't think it's exaggerating, okay? So, what are those other teachings of Christ that never got into the New Testament documents? The Catholic Church says, we know them. It's part of our oral tradition. That's what you don't have, you Protestants. You're limited. <laughs> okay? So another, we'll find, for example, in uh, okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Even Paul himself had oral tradition that will never written down. Not only Jesus, but even the Apostle Paul left some oral tradition that were never written down. What does he say to the church of Thessalonica? Talking about the signs of the coming of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 5 Don't you remember that when I was with you I used to tell you these things? Pro problem, it doesn't specify exactly what he said. Okay, so to see the whole context, uh, you can go please to five, 5 up to verse 7. 5 to 7, okay, see the whole thing. He's talking about 
the lawless one, the coming Antichrist. And that something is holding that, that Antichrist back. And because he doesn't give up enough information, you know, different, you know, commentators of the Bible give different interpretations of who is the restrainer. Of course, the pre-trib rapture view says, oh, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit in the church. Okay? The other view say, oh, the, the restrainer is the Roman system of law that keeps things in order. Okay? 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 5 to 7 don't you remember that when I was with you I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Okay, so, who was the restrainer? Who was restraining the, the revelation of the Antichrist? Well, you remember, I was with you, I told, told, told you about these things. Now, we don't know what that was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so anyway. So here we find that not only Jesus, but the apostles had teachings that, we, that were never finally written down. But what was written down was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay? What was written down was inspired by the Holy Spirit according to Paul 2 Timothy 3.16 and it is sufficient for our knowledge and salvation. So we don't know those other teachings. Okay? So what's important is what has been written down because that is the most reliable source we can ever have. As we have seen last month, oral tradition is so unreliable. Okay? For three reasons. Okay? So can we go to slide 17? Okay, this is where we ended last week, uh, last month. So we have three reasons why we cannot consider oral tradition as a very reliable source of revelation. Because the Catholic Church says revelation is contained in oral tradition and written tradition. So oral tradition and the Bible. Both are divine revelation and therefore infallible. Okay? So the Catholic Church says, we have access to oral tradition you Protestants don't have because you reject them. Okay? Okay. Are there any questions about last month's discussion on oral tradition? Can you intelligently discuss with an intelligent Catholic why we cannot trust oral tradition? So, let's go now to the next. We're talking about the magisterium this time. Okay. Magisterium simply means teaching authority. It's just a Latin word used by the Catholic Church in their official teachings to refer to teaching authority or the one authorized to interpret the scripture. So only the magisterium composed primarily of the Pope and the cardinals and the cardinals, the college of cardinals, they are the ones who have the supreme authority, of course, the Pope is the first, okay, to interpret the Bible for us. And therefore, only the Pope and the cardinals surrounding him have the supreme magisterium or the highest teaching authority in the church. And they claim that they have teaching authority because they, of apostolic, they are the successors of the apostles themselves. And they can trace from their perspective a clear line of succession from Peter and the apostles down to the Pope and the cardinals. And because we are successors, through the laying of hands through the generations, the teaching authority is on us, not in you. So they will ask us, where do you get your authority to interpret the Bible? 
Where do you get your authority to teach the Bible? Can you show us where your authority is coming from? Okay? So, pag ganyan ang approach ng mga intelligent Catholics sa inyo, ano sagot nyo? <laughs> On what ground are you sure you are the authorized to correctly interpret the Bible? Okay? So, that is one of their defenses that they teach the people to ask Protestants para tumahimik na tayo. Kasi nasaan ba yung teaching authority mo? Who authorized you to teach? Can you trace your authority back to the apostles themselves? Okay? So, let's now go to the magisterium. Every person needs somebody to interpret the Bible, correct? And the Catholic Church often cites the scripture as a, as a basis. So, Acts 8 verses 30 to 31. So then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard a man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked, How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You remember the story, right? See, the Catholic Church says, on the basis of this, Scripture cannot just be given to anyone like this, uh, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch. They do not have the knowledge to correctly explain the Scripture. They need someone to explain the Scripture to them. And he said, that is the role of the magisterium in the church. To correctly explain the true meaning of scripture because anyone can misinterpret it. Okay? And since every people, every person who is interested in the Christian faith will be asking the question, I'm reading the Bible but I cannot understand it. So who will explain it to me? The Catholic said, the magisterium. Alone, because of the succession from the apostles of the supreme authority to explain to you the meaning of the scriptures. So you will always question us, where do you get your authority to explain the Bible or to teach it? Okay? Can anyone defend that? Where do you get the authority to teach the scriptures to interpret it correctly? How would you respond? Is it really apostolic succession that gives people authority to teach? Okay? And what about their claim that it was the Catholic Church who... Uh, decided what books are inspired and what books are not inspired. <laughs> okay? Okay, let's continue. Don't worry, it will be answered in time. <laughs> so, this is one of their uh, basic scriptures. Uh, the scripture will be showing you is one of their, their basic scriptures, okay? Remember this story, right? The call of Simon Peter? Right there at the beginning, Jesus said, You are Simon and you'll be called Kephas, okay? Kephas is Aramaic. The, the native language of Jesus was Aramaic, not Hebrew. Hebrew was the official language of Israel at the time, or uh, the Jews. But they spoke Aramaic, which is like Artaglish. It's corrupted Hebrew. Okay? Slang Hebrew, or common Hebrew. Okay? Not the official Hebrew itself. So in Hebrew, Jesus' name would be Yehoshua. In Aramaic, his name would be Yeshua. Okay? So... Kephas is feminine in gender in the Aramaic language and it means rock, not stone, huh? bedrock, upon which you build houses. Okay? So you will be called bedrock. Of course, um, John, who was writing in the Greek language, had to translate the Aramaic, original Aramaic word of Christ into Greek. And it's very interesting, and we thank God that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
uh, John preserved the original word of Christ. You call that in Latin, ipsissima verba, the actual words of the Lord in His native language. So He said, you will be called Kephas. Now I believe the Holy Spirit reserved this for a reason. So John is now translating Kephas to Greek because he's writing in Greek. The correct translation to Greek because feminine and gender ng Kephas should be Petra, which is also feminine, correct? So Petra means rock, not stone. Rock, okay? It's the common word for rock in the New Testament. But because John is describing a male person, he has to change the ending to a male ending, Petros. That's where we get our English, Peter, as a male noun. But the original words of Christ is feminine. And it's the word kephas, which is the common term in Christ's native language for rock. Huge rock. You know, when he talks about building house upon sand and upon rock, that's rock. That's what he's talking about. Foundational rock. Okay? So he's saying, you'll be called rock. Okay? And so they said, keep that in mind. <laughs> okay? Kephas is used by Paul to describe Simon in 1 Corinthians and Galatians. how he calls Simon Peter. That means, even Paul himself carefully preserved the original Aramaic title that Jesus gave to Simon Peter, Kephas. Why, why is it of all the names of the apostles, even Paul had to retain the Aramaic title that Jesus gave to Simon Peter, which is Rock. Because, as we will see in a little while, Peter enjoyed a supreme role among the apostles. And we will see that later on, okay? Even in the Gospels, okay? Okay, you will see that. And here, of course, the most important text for the Catholic Church for the papacy is Matthew 16, 18 to 19. Can we read this together? Okay, that's Petros, but it's actually Petra. And on this, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Three things, no? Peter, means rock, and on this rock, obviously referring to Peter, it will be the foundation, okay? And he will receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven, uh, a, a privilege never given to the other apostles, only to Peter. And then, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on is also given to the other apostles in Matthew 18. We'll see that later on. Only this third part is given to, is also declared by Christ as an authority is given to the rest of the apostles. But the keys and the fact that uh, the foundation of the church, okay, that he did not give to the rest of the apostles in terms of this wording, rock. Never use the word rock to refer to any other apostle except to Simon Peter. Okay? So the Catholic Church says it's very clear that Peter is the rock upon Christ which Christ will build the church. Well, I don't know about our interpretation no, because I have my problems with our interpretation too. So I know the evangelical argument, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's full of holes. Okay? Hole number one. The word Petros... As we have seen already a while ago, it's just a Greek translation of the original word of Christ, which is rock. In fact, Paul retained the remake term rock, not stone, kephas. 
Kefas has no other meaning but rock. Hindi pwede, walang meaning ang kefas na stone. May, se may separate word ng Aramaic sa stone. So, this is the original words that came out of the mouth of Christ. Peter is just a translation. Okay? E kaya, dapat yan, Petra in Greek. Kasi feminine ang kefas, ang feminine sa Greek will be Petra. So, it should be Petra. Pero dalalaki, nung pwedeng gawin bakla si Simon Peter sa pangalan, ginawa niyang Petros. Pero the substance of the word goes back to Kephas, which is rock. So it's practically saying here, if, if I'm going to quote the original Aramaic words of Christ, he would say, and you are rock, Kephas. And upon this rock, Kephas, I will build my church. It's so clear. Why would he call on the name of Peter if the next line, rock, is not referring to him? Why this? You, he said, you are rock. You are Peter. And upon this rock. Now, why would he call Peter's attention and his name if the rock in the next line has nothing to do with him? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's, you're, you're, we're violating syntax here and context and language. We are twisting the context, the text out of context. Uh, all we are asking is what does Jesus mean when he said that? I mean, based on the context. Huwag na tayo magdagdag na ibang context kasi malalayo tayo eh. Ayong context mismo niyan. Anong ibig sabihin ni Jesus? Why ba't tatada, you are rock, and upon this rock, kung yung rock, iba pala yung rock. Ba't may tatatawagin siya si Peter? Why does he have to remind him of his name that Jesus gave him if the next line has nothing to do with him? It doesn't make sense. You violate the flow of language. You violate the syntax. You violate context. I'm just saying is that we have to be honest with the language. We cannot twist things out of context just because we, we are reacting to a wrong concept of another group. Truth will always be truth no matter what you say. Okay? And the context reveals the rock is really Peter because his name is rock in Aramaic, Kephas. And Jesus said this. He didn't say this in the Greek language. He didn't say, you are Petros. Jesus was not speaking Greek. He never spoke Greek. He was speaking Aramaic. You are Kephas. And upon this Kephas, I will build my church. So obviously, in the original language, he was referring to Simon, Peter as the rock. Or else, we violate context, we violate language, we violate syntax. Okay? I'm sorry, I don't agree with the evangelical view. Because to me, it's a reactionary argument that takes things out of context just to prove how wrong the Catholic Church is. I'm going to tell you, the Catholic Church has correct interpretation here, but with the wrong theological concept. Yun ang pag-uusapan natin. You understand that? Kasi pag humarap kayo sa isang Catholic priest o intelligent Catholic, at papatunay iba yan, tatawanan kayo. Hindi ata kayo nakakaintindi ng English. <laughs> you don't understand language, you don't understand context and, you know, the subject, predicate. Napakasimple, grammar and syntax lang yun eh. And play on words, no? You are Kefas, and upon this Kefas, I will build my church. So, obviously, sinong tinutukoy niya? Simon Peter. And why did he say that to Simon Peter? Because of the Ecclesia, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Yun ang basis ng sinabi niya, di ba? He just said, you are, you are the Christ, and blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So the context was the revelation you received from God. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus said, you did not receive that from man. 
you just received a direct revelation from my father. And because you are the first one to confess that with your mouth, from my father, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. The question is, what did Jesus mean by that? Theologically. Okay? Now, so I'm telling you, the evangelical explanation is full of holes. Pag yan ay explain natin sa Catholic, baka lalo lang maawa sa ating mga Katoliko, napakababaw natin, hindi makaintindi ng language. Pipilitin mo, itwist yung language para napatunay na mali sila. Actually, tama sila eh. Because this is really about Jesus Christ, about Peter. In other words, you cannot take other contexts when this one has his own context. So what is the intention of Jesus here? He's saying, because Simon Peter was the first one to make a declaration of revelation that he is the true, truly the Messiah. Although, they have been saying that, or, but some of them were doubting, how can this be the Messiah? You know, he, you know, he is not coming against the Roman Empire. The Messiah was supposed to fight against the Roman Empire. He said, love your enemies. How can you love the Romans? They're occupied, they are occupied us. They are foreign power. It was, it was uh, destroyed, you know, and colonized us. How can you say love your enemies? I'm sure the disciples have many questions, you know, when they hear this teaching. He's never saying anything against the Romans. How can this be our Messiah? Because the Messiah was supposed to liberate us from, from the control of other nations and reestablish the independent kingdom of Israel that we become independent again under a Davidic king who will sitting as our Messiah. The Messiah is a king of Israel who will come from the line of David, who will rule over Israel and, and give us independence from all other nations. So even though they believed he was Messiah, they were not very confident because what they're seeing in Jesus through those three years seemed to contradict what they believe about the Messiah. But Peter, when he said that, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus knew that could never have come from Peter. Because he has been with them all these years. And he knew they did not have that understanding of his true identity. My father revealed that to you. And because you are the first one to receive that revelation, I now declare, I called you the rock, and upon this rock, that's you. I will beat my church. What Christ is saying, you are the rock in the context of that revelation that you received from my Father. Okay? And let me tell you this, because it is not only Simon Peter who confessed that Jesus is the true Messiah and the Son of God. Later on, the other apostles will also believe that. And they too will become, like Simon, foundation stones for the church. That's why in the book of Revelation chapter 22 in the New Jerusalem that will come down, the New Jerusalem representing the church is built on 12 foundation stones upon which were written the 12 names of the apostles. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, not Peter. Not Peter alone. We are built, Ephesians 2.20, the church is being built on the foundation of the Peter. Peter alone? All the apostles, including Peter. Peter was the one given these words, and he was given the special privilege. As here, continue. Can you please continue to verse 21? Christ is the cornerstone here in this description of the church. While the apostles are the foundation. Okay. Ephesians 2, verses okay. 20 to 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God leaves by his Spirit. 
Okay, being built on the foundation of the apostles. Okay, I mean, the foundation is rock because that's where you build buildings meant to last forever. You build it on rock. How about Judas? Is he one of the foundations? Obviously, according to Acts chapter 1, he was replaced. Okay, but that was before Pentecost. Pentecost took place at chapter 2. Question, many people are questioned, was their choice of Matthias coming from God? Because later on, God raised the Apostle Paul, who also witnesses the risen Christ. The, the qualifications, they, they said, he must have been among us all the time we've been with the Master, and he must be a witness of the resurrection. You know, qualifications set by the apostles in, in Acts 1 for the one who replaced Judas. He has been walked among us. That means we, he has heard Jesus teach, okay? And he is a witness of the resurrection. And so they chose Matthias. But later on, Jesus will appear personally to Saul of Tarsus. And he will be in Arabia for three years, and he receives the gospel directly from Jesus. See, what I preach to you did not come from flesh and blood, but by direct revelation from Jesus Christ, Galatians chapter 1. So like the other apostles, they had direct teaching from Christ. He also received direct teaching from Christ, therefore qualifying him as one of the apostles. Based on the criteria set by the apostles in Acts chapter 1, he must have walked among us as eyewitness of Jesus' teaching and eyewitness of his resurrection. And Paul qualifies. They were with him three years. Paul said, after three years I returned back to uh, Damascus and he was there in, in Arabia and he received there directly the entire gospel. And later on he went up to Jerusalem many years later, 14 years later he went up to Jerusalem, Galatians chapter 2, he presented this gospel to the apostles and they said there's no dif nothing different, it's the same gospel. The same gospel they received directly from Christ in three years, Paul also received directly from Christ in three years. And both of them, all of them are eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. So many believe Saul is the 12th apostle, not Matthias. Matthias was a premature decision of the apostles because the Holy Spirit was not yet poured out. And, and casting lots to make decisions is an Old Testament approach. They did not have yet the Holy Spirit to make that decision. So yun ang view, no? So ako, I agree with the scholars who say that Paul is the 12th apostle, not Matthias. Because if you read the Gospels and the history of the Church, wala na masyadong nabanggit kay Matthias eh. Yung ibang apostles, yung mga kilala, nababanggit, no? And we have some traditions about the other apostles, yung Nathaniel, is also Bartolomeo at the same time. Um, we have some stories, Andrew, pero kay Matthias, parang wala eh. Not really significant in the Church. So, what we are seeing here is that Simon Peter was the first can we go back to the scripture in verse 20, slide 20, please? And because he was the first to voice out the divine revelation of the true identity of Jesus, he said, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I give you the keys, and this is the key to understanding the meaning of Jesus. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the Catholic Church says, you see, the keys belong to Simon Peter and to his successors. Are you a successor of Simon Peter? For you to declare you have the key to the kingdom. Okay? So we have to understand first what is the meaning of the keys of the kingdom. Okay? So let's take a look at the next slide. Keys in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, represent authority entrusted to a steward to give access to loosing or deny access to binding from God's house. 
enjoy, that means the enjoyment of divine favor, salvation, protection. It is the authority to deprive a person of uh, enjoyment of divine favor, salvation, and protection, and the authority to grant access to a person to enjoy enjoyment of divine favor, salvation, and protection. That's what he means by keys, okay? So what did Jesus mean? I give you the keys. He never repeated this to the other apostles, okay? But I want you to know, let's go back to the Bible, the scripture. I want you to know that the keys of the kingdom of heaven is connected to this next statement. The keys has something to do with binding and losing. This, this is taken from the synagogue uh, authority structure. In a synagogue authority structure, elders have supreme authority over the people. Okay? And the elders are given authority to discipline its members. Okay? But an Old Testament scripture will help give us more light as to the true meaning of the keys. Okay? Here it is. This is from Isaiah 22, and this is where the keys are explained. Okay? Go say to the steward, remember a key is given to a steward in charge of a house, granting access or denying access to anyone entering the house, and also represents the place of God's favor, protection, or salvation, or just simply salvation. Okay? Go say to the steward, to Shebna, the palace administrator, in that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Ilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. I will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem, to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. <laughs> the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a pig into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. So who will be given the keys here? Who is given the keys to the house of David? Eliakim. Right? The steward. Now what is the purpose of the key? To allow access to the house of David or shut access to the house of David. What is the house of David in this context? This is the covenants of God, the Davidic covenant. You become part of the covenant people of God or you become part of the Davidic covenant okay, because of the access given to this person. Okay? But, of course, here it can also mean the literal house of David. But the problem is that by, when the time Isaiah wrote, it depends on chapter 22, this was prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Later on, there will be no more house of David. It will be destroyed completely by the Babylonians. Okay, Isaiah was looking forward to the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? So, so what are the keys? To grant access or to deny access to certain privileges. Okay? So it can be in, in the context of Simon Peter, access to salvation or shutting off from salvation. Okay? Now, when Jesus uses this in Matthew 18 and uses this in the context of the rest of the apostles, okay, here's another, but here's another one. To the angel of the church of the right, these are the words of him who is holy through who holds the Remember, before it was Eliakim, now it's Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus now holds the key to the house of David. Okay? What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can. Where, where was this taken from by Jesus? It was quoted directly from Isaiah 22. Okay? 
So here, clearly, Jesus is talking about his authority to grant access or deny access to what? What's the context? You see, I place to you an open door. For what? Open door for what? You have kept my word. You see that? And you have not denied my name. That means you are, you are true believers. So what is the promise to the true believer? If you read the whole letter, salvation. No one can remove your salvation because I am the one who holds the key of David. And I put you an open door, which means you are saved. You have access to salvation. Okay, because you have not denied my name and because you have kept my word. Okay? So the key is access to or denial of salvation that Jesus Christ claimed to bring. So, let's go back to Simon Peter. Okay? But let's take a look first. Peter was the rock, listen to this, only on the basis of his confession of faith by which he recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, because the church foundation is on people who believe that Jesus is the true Messiah. And because the apostles were the eyewitnesses of Christ and his resurrection, they formed the foundation rock upon which the church is built. Simon being the first one, because he was the first one to mouth that revelation from God. As he said, you are rock. Because it is on that confession of revelation, and because you were the one who received that revelation, I build my church on the people who believe in that revelation. And of course, Peter was the first. Later on, the rest of the apostles. They become all equally foundation. Being built on the foundation of the apostles, not just Simon Peter. How do you understand? Now, let's, let's try to understand the keys, okay? He was the rock along with the other apostles. See next slide. So long as he teaches the revealed teachings of Christ, of which he was a direct eyewitness. He was, however, given primacy over the other apostles by what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, because he was the first. Okay? He has primacy. Okay? That's why the keys is given to him, not to the other apostles. Okay? But here there's a special meaning to the keys when it comes to salvation. He was, however, given primacy of the others by what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and John 21, 15 to 17, which he exercised as the first preacher of the gospel and therefore the opener of the door of the kingdom to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Study the book of Acts. Who was the first one who ushered into the kingdom both Jews and Gentiles? Study the book of Acts. Who was the first one to do it? No. Who was the first one to usher into the kingdom of Christ, into the realm of salvation, the Jews and the Gentiles? Who was the first one to open the door? It was Peter. Remember Acts chapter 2? The first, the, the first Jewish batch of believers after Pentecost was after the preaching of Peter. And the first batch of Gentile believers to become Christians is at the house of Cornelius, and God was, and Jesus ensured Simon Peter will be the one to preach the gospel to them. No other apostle. He was the one who opened the glory of the kingdom to Jews and Gentiles. 
Because that was the privilege given to him by Christ. As the first to receive the revelation of his true identity, God gave, Christ gave him the privilege to be the opener of the kingdom to both Jews and Gentiles. And the book of Acts is a testimony to his primacy when it comes to that point. Nantinan na na. Mas na-appreciate nyo ngayon yung Cornelius. But sa lahat ng apostles, si Peter na pinadala ni Jesus doon. <laughs> si Paul, apostle na rin at that time. Nasimula pa lang actually. <laughs> but si Peter, kasi he is the given the keys. Jews and Gentiles. Siya unang bubukas kasi siya unang tumanggap ng revelation. Kaya ang privilege niya, may primacy siya, upon him the church is built because he was the first one. But because later the other apostles, we believe the same, kasi iba nag-doubt pa at that time about the true identity of Christ, siya lang nagsabi. Later on, they become part of the foundation. Oh, does that make sense to you? How all of this harmonize? You see, you know you have the correct interpretation when it harmonizes with all the data. You know you have a wrong interpretation when certain data seem to contradict what your interpretation. Then you know you have a wrong interpretation. Because the right interpretation must harmonize with all the data you find in scriptures. It must harmonize, or else it is the wrong interpretation. Okay, is that clear? So Peter is the rock upon which the church is built by virtue of his being the first to receive the revelation, and therefore, he is now given the keys to open the door both to Jews and Gentiles. That's the first one. That is his primacy. But, because not only him believed in the true identity of Christ, the rest of the apostles did after the resurrection, then the apostles now also become part of the foundation upon which the church is built, along with Simon Peter. But we cannot deny the fact he was given primacy. In fact, in John 21, I was noting it here, remember? After the resurrection, they went fishing and, you know, the same thing happened in Luke 5. They caught nothing and then, you know, miraculous cuts of fish. Jesus was trying, was trying to give uh, Simon Peter a, uh, you call that a, uh, a refresher of memory. Natinawag na kita from there and now you're going back there. <laughs> I can provide your needs. <laughs> when that came to the beach, there was already fish cooking. Ah, sige, na-suggest na pakabay. Sige, drink some of the fish para hindi na masaya yung pangingisdaan nyo. Pero may isdaan ako dito para sa inyo. <laughs> I can provide for you, Simon Peter. You don't have to go out fishing. I already called you out of that industry to follow me. Be, be fishers of men. Now you go back fishing. You see, I have fish. Even you're going out there. Eh, sabi niya, what's happening to you, Simon? At first, you denied me three times. And now you seem to be forsaking my calling for you to leave that business and focus on being fishers of men. So Simon, do you really love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then, take care of my lambs. Simon, do you really love me? Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. And for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you really love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, making him remember the threefold denial. No? Sakit. And then, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. Now listen to this. That is the ordination of Simon Peter. He is entrusting all the other sheep to him. 
There are two interpretations. Is the sheep referring to all believers who will come into the kingdom after that time? Or is he referring also to the other apostles gathered there that day as the other sheep? As the sheep is talking about. Take care of my lambs, take care of my sheep. The Catholic Church says, when Jesus said that, he was referring to the apostles together with him that morning along the Sea of Galilee. Those are the sheep that Peter now must take care of. Here, God is Jesus is giving Simon primacy over the eleven. Primacy. That's why if you go to Israel, you'll find there when you go to Capernaum, you see a huge statue there, the primacy of Peter. Part of Roman Catholic theology. Are they right? Sabi niya, take care of my sheep. Catholic Church says, those are the other apostles. He is given primacy above them. And he must take care of them. Do you agree? Do you agree? Because if you don't, I have an additional scripture to show you. Natama sila. <laughs> I'll show you another scripture. Natama sila, okay? Go to Luke chapter 22, please. Luke 22. Yeah. And, uh, please, 31 to 32. Don't underestimate the Catholic Church system of interpretation. They know where they are coming from. They have studied Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Many of those theologians are biblical scholars. So don't please, uh, don't uh, think that they are not intelligent. They are very intelligent. Okay? Now, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, demand. They were going now to the, they're about to go where? To the Garden of Gethsemane. They just finished the Last Supper, okay? Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That means, that is plural, not singular. All of you will be tested tonight. And the devil requested from me to test you. I gave him permission. The devil can never tempt you without Jesus' permission. If you are being tempted, Jesus allowed it. He wants you to win. Satan wants you to sin. <laughs> okay? Kaya that's why Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Because God does lead us into temptation. Do you pray that prayer every day? Lead us not into temptation? You should. Jesus himself taught us to pray that. That is divinely revealed prayer. You should pray that every day. Kundi para baka sunod-sunod na kasalanan mo that day. Kasi you don't know about temptation. You understand this, okay? Now, take a look at this. Lord plural, but I prayed for you singular. Ayan. So plural, but I prayed for you singular. That your faith may not fail. is referring now to Simon Peter because siya yung babagsak. Okay? Uh, terribly. Yung iba, they will just flee. Ito, hindi nag-flee. Sinundan niya sa Jesus, tapos dinenay niya three times. <laughs> Bumuntot pa para i-disown lang yung master niya. Okay? So anyway, but I pray for you that your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned again, that he knows that Simon Peter will repent. Strengthen your brothers. Bakit sa kanya lang sinabi yun? Di ba lahat man sila matetest that night? All of them will be tested, right? But why does he pray only for him? And he said, and we are restored, strengthen your brother's faith. So does he have a responsibility to the other apostles? Isn't Jesus showing that he has given primacy over the apostles? Both here and in John chapter 21. Okay, now listen carefully. Huh? Why, why, why does Jesus allow Simon to fall? Did he pray for the faith of Simon so that he will not fall? Obviously, in the next, he will say, before the cock crows, she will deny three times, you know me. So was he praying that Peter's faith will not fail so that he will not deny him? If that was the meaning of Jesus, then God did not answer Jesus' prayer. Because he himself predicted, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. So he's coming against his own prayer. So what faith is he talking about with Simon Peter? What, was it, what, what context should his faith not fail? Anyone? Obviously, it's not talking about to keep him from falling, right? Because he already prayed he will do it. You can do it three times. Pero bakit siya nag-pray kung di naman pala mangyayari yung prayer niya? So what is he referring to that your faith may not fail? And notice, the key is the next line. The key to understanding the meaning of Jesus is what follows. And when you are turned back, did Judas turn back? Why? Because he did not have the faith to turn back. He lost all faith, went into despair, and committed suicide. He did not pray for Judas. That scripture may be fulfilled. But he prayed for There were two men among his closest. There were two men that night who will repudiate him. Two of his closest friends will rise up against him. One he prayed for, the other he didn't. Both will fail him. But why did he pray for Simon? Naalan naman niyang babagsak talaga. Hindi niya pipigilan yun. So, faith will not fail in what sense? The faith to turn back to Him. He will not lose hope, like Judas. Diba? The faith there is not faith not to sin, but the faith to come back to Him after He sins. Or else, Jesus was not heard by His Father. Because Peter did fall into sin. And do you think the Father will ever say no to Jesus? Diba? Personal request. So do you understand this? The faith will not fail. It's nothing to do with the sin. It's about his return back to Christ after he sins. And question, why does Jesus allow Simon to fall? He could have prayed for his faith not to fall. Right? But why didn't he pray that we will have faith enough not to fall? Why does he talk about the damage control after? That he will have the faith enough to turn back to him. Why does he allow him to fall? 
for him to establish what? Leadership among the others. But I'm going to encourage you, don't be discouraged. Just go back to Jesus. He was given leadership. Primacy over the other apostles. So, tama ba ang Catholic Church ang binigyan ng primacy si Simon Peter? I mean, we have so much internal evidence for that in the New Testament. Okay? Not only that. Take a look at um, Galatians chapter 2. I'm, I'm showing you the scriptures that support the primacy of Peter in the early church. Galatians chapter 2, start from verse 8, 8 and 9, okay? For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. You see this? Who are the pillars in the Jerusalem church? James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is not James the Apostle. James was going to be martyred in Acts chapter 12. 12, yeah. James the Apostle, the brother of John, was martyred early. He was the first apostle to be martyred. Okay? But this is James, the elder of Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, and the author of the epistle of James. This is not James the Apostle. James the elder. Along with, who's the other guy? John. Those two. Among, remember, James is an elder, not an apostle. Among the apostles, the pillars are, James, are Peter and John. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip preached the gospel in Samaria, and there was, some, it, you know, there was a massive harvest uh, in Samaria, the church in your sent Peter and John to check out what happened. Okay? So, Peter obviously was considered one of the pillars of the Jerusalem church. Jerusalem church, because that's a Jewish church. Peter was called to the Jews, Paul was called to the Gentiles. Okay? And because Peter was called to the Jews, mataas ang, ang kanyang role sa Jerusalem church, which is the mother church of all churches, and it was a Jewish church. The first gentle church was Antioch. And Antioch, the church in Antioch, became the center for global missions. It was the launching pad for global missions. The church of Antioch, that's where Paul and Barnabas was sent by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. So Antioch, was the, um, the birthing place of world missions, okay? Well, Jerusalem was a Jewish church that gave birth to the Gentile church in Antioch because it was Jewish proselytes who experienced the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in, uh, in, Acts, in Jerusalem who shared the gospel to Gentiles in Antioch. They were the ones who received the, witnessed the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And they became believers at Pentecost. And when they came back to their places, they preached the gospel in Gentiles in Antioch. These are, remember, Jewish proselytes are Gentiles who became Jews. And then became Christians. <laughs> so they preached them to Gentiles and that's where the first Gentile church was established in the church of Antioch. And later on, so Barnabas looked for Saul, brought him there, and they became the pastors of the church. Okay? They taught the people there for a number of, I don't know how long, no? So, they're definitely pillars. And here's another 
uh, argument for the supremacy of, of uh, Simon Peter. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3 to 5. Can you read this? Jesus always gives a special attention to Simon Peter. This is very, very significant. Always gives special attention to Simon Peter. Here. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve. Who was the only apostle and the first one to receive an apparition of the risen Christ after he rose from the dead? Peter. Before he appeared to the rest of the apostles, he first appeared to Peter. Actually, we know the first one he appeared to was Mary Magdalene in the garden. But after Mary Magdalene, obviously, the, first, the next personal appearance is with Peter. Why Peter? And later on, he appears to the other apostles. Look at the sequence, okay? Instead there, raised on the third day, and then appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. Now why does Jesus, you know, segregate Peter from the twelve? If they are all equal in his eyes. Why may special favor to Peter, siya pang unang pinakitaan ni Lord, and then the twelve? So obviously, the scriptures testify to us that Peter was indeed given primacy among the twelve. But that authority is ultimately shared along with the other apostles. All of them forming the foundation stones upon which the church is built, not just Simon Peter. The Catholic Church argues the Pope is the successor of Simon Peter and the Cardinals are the successors of the apostles. So supreme authority in the church, the magisterium, rests on the Pope and the Cardinals. Nobody else has the right the magisterial right to teach the Bible except the Pope and the Cardinals because they are direct successors of Peter, the, the primary one, and then the apostles represented by the Cardinals in today's Catholic Church. And then you'll talk about how they argue for the succession. Why do they claim to be successors? Okay, at this point, do you have any question? See, this authority was given to Peter, right? Not to you. <laughs> Unless you claim direct succession of ordination from Peter down to our generation, that you're given authority by Christ himself to teach. Uh, that's, that will be a different topic. That's a different topic. Let's not just talk about teaching authority here. Okay, so... Let's go back. So, there are points where the Catholic Church is absolutely right and we evangelicals are trying to twist things out of context just to prove them wrong. But the fact that they are more consistent with the scriptures in these interpretations. You understand that? Okay. So, let's go on. Are, is it clear to you that we have found in the scriptures in the New Testament strong evidence, textual evidence, and some from the mouth of Christ himself establishing the primacy of Simon over the twelve, of the eleven. But it doesn't give him any more authority as the foundation of the church because all the apostles are the foundation. 
not just Simon Peter. Sabi nila, that's the Pope and the Cardinals. So the authority of the Church of Christ rests on the Pope and the Cardinals, not outside of the Catholic Church. Anong ang sasabihin niya ngayon doon? <laughs> okay, now. Uh, here, is that clear ready? That the use of the keys, he was the one who opened the door for salvation, for the kingdom, for the Jews, and he was the first. No other apostle had that privilege except Simon Peter. Okay? So here we are. But, again, we agree, same authority given to all the apostles, not just Peter. At the time the disciples came to Jesus, and he said in verse 18, Truly I say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And here, Jesus mentioned this in the context of church discipline. Okay, can you go please to Matthew 18, verse 15 and following? 15, 16, 17, 18. He applies this authority to the rest of the apostles in the context of church discipline. While the keys given to Simon Peter something to do with opening access to the kingdom of God, to salvation, as the first preacher of the gospel, both to the Jew and the Gentile household of Cornelius. Okay? So he uses the same words he said to Simon in Matthew 16 to the rest of the apostles, but this time it is in the context of church discipline, which is the common use in the synagogue. That the steward, the one who is given authority in the synagogue, uh, can bind or loose, that means forbid people from going to the synagogue, forbid them from certain religious privileges, or can give them access again after the discipline is lifted. Okay? That is the authority here. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see that? The context is church discipline. Remember, Binding and loosing has something to do with exercising authority and discipline in the local synagogue. Okay? Because Jesus was a Jew. He grew up, you know, going to the synagogue every Shabbat. Okay? And later on, he started preaching also in the synagogue during Shabbat. Okay? So, the context here is that the authority is given to an elder or the elders of the synagogue to allow members of the synagogue to have access to privileges as a member of the religious community or they can be deprived of those privileges as members of the community of the Jews in the synagogue, okay? So that's the meaning of authority in the context of discipline, okay? So here, this is disciplining people, obviously. When we use binding and loosing as spiritual warfare, we are disciplining demons, right? <laughs> We're exercising that authority. We, oops, shut up in Jesus' name. That's binding. I do not allow you to move in the name of Jesus. That's binding. Say, I bind you. Bind in what sense? What are you trying to say what you're binding him from? I bind you in the name of Jesus. I mean, where? On what, on what point? <laughs> I don't allow you to speak in the name of Jesus. You're binding him. You are depriving him of any privilege. You are shutting down exercise of certain things. That's binding. Okay? Sinabi ko sa demon, I command you uh, not to come near this place because pag-usapan namin mga gagawin sa mga demonyo. 
Lord, I declare all the ears of demons right now shut in Jesus' name. That's binding. Of course, we don't lose. Pag demonyo na, hindi mo yung ginalose. Delikado yan. Hanggang binding lang tayo sa demonyo. Pero, this is application to human beings under discipline. You see the context? It's about discipline. So, in other words, because Jesus gave authority to the apostles, and later on to the church, because the binding loosing is also given to the church. Okay, listen to this. Because, I'll show you how Paul applies that to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5. The binding and loosing is also given to other believers. But the keys, no. It was only given to Simon Peter. Because he was the one to open the door of the kingdom and salvation to the Jews and Gentiles. That's a once and for all event that cannot be repeated. So the Pope today cannot claim the keys. Are still continuing today. Because that was a historical uh, privilege given to Simon Peter only. Pero sa kanila, the case is the teaching authority. Ayan, interpretation nila. Okay? So, anyway. So, because the authority was given by Christ, therefore, when you bind anything, it's already considered bound in heaven. Because you were given the authority. So, heaven recognizes what you say because the authority was given to you. So, what has been bound on earth has been bound in heaven. Ibig sabihin, heaven will sanction what you say or do because you were authorized to do so. Yun lang yun. Nanaintindihan mo na ibig sabihin yan. <laughs> because it came from Christ. The authority came from Christ. Eh, siyempre, nasa langit na si Jesus by the time nila gagawin yan. So, ako nakuutos sa inyo. I gave you authority. If you use that, then recognize na rin sa langit yan. Because I gave you the authority. You represent me on earth. Okay? Is that clear? Okay, so, let's go back. So, wala pa tayo din sa apostolic succession, ha? Okay. Pupunta na tayo dyan after the break. So, I'll give an example how slide, ano ito ngayon? Slide 25. Okay. It's where we are. So, the same authority given to Simon Peter and Matthew is also given to the twelve, to all the apostles, and to all the disciples of Christ, okay? Because this is in matters of discipline in the church, okay? But here, if you forgive anyone's sins, the, ito, part of the binding and losing. The binding and losing, remember, can mean uh, providing access to salvation or denying access to salvation. Exactly what this is saying. Exactly, okay? So that's binding and losing. So, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If they are not, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Dito nang galing ang confessional box. And the authority of priests to forgive sins. Oh, may biblical basis sila, ha? <laughs> oh, di ba? Nasaan ang authority to forgive? Nasa mga successors ng mga apostles. Ngayon, mga pare. Ayan. So sila may authority patawarin ka. Kaya na, confess mo sa kanila. <laughs> Because if they do not forgive you your sins, it will not be forgiven in heaven. Paano yan? Na hindi ka na-confess sa priest. Ano ka-assurance mo na patawad ka? Wala man, may authority nagpatawad sa'yo. <laughs> okay, so tama sila. Dapat pupunta tayo sa confessional box. Nakukonfess tayo sa mga pare ngayon. Kaya kung hindi tayo napatawad kasi sila may authority to forgive or not to forgive. 
Okay, you want to know the correct answer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But how, how, how would you explain this? How do you explain this now? Kasi the fact is, sinabi pa rin ni Lord yan. Oh, ano ibig sabihin yan? How do you harmonize that with the other one? Okay, but you know the context of James chapter 5, confessing you know the context of that. It's healing. Okay. Yes, because it's sin against one another, right? Oh. Okay, so how do you explain this one, Pastor? Correct. So possible, possible yan, di ba? Possible yan. But let's take a look at the context. Okay, John. Okay. John 20. Okay, John 20, 21 to 23. Tignan natin yung context. This is commissioning the apostles to preach the gospel. This is the pre-great commission. Kung may pre-nuptial bago makasal, ito yun. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound familiar with the great commission in Acts chapter 1? You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the context is the ministry of the gospel to the nations, right? And so therefore, the forgiveness here is not about sins committed by Christians to one another because look at the context. It's part of the Great Commission. So can that refer to sins committed by Christians to one another? Look at the context. The Holy Spirit is given to empower them to preach the gospel because I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit so that you'll be empowered. So the context is the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. And therefore, kung nagsisin yung mga tao, then if you forgive them, it will be forgiven. Hindi mo forgive, hindi ko papatawarin. So hindi ito personal sins that we commit against one another. These are sins committed against God. And forgiveness, only forgiveness can bring them into salvation. The lack of forgiveness will keep them from salvation. Natama? So, any better explanation? <laughs> okay. Here is the theological and historical explanation. Sinabi ni Jesus ito because during that time, only the apostles knew the teachings of Christ. Okay? 
They were the ones given the authority to teach what Jesus taught officially. Marami nakarinig kay Jesus during his earthly life. But the authority to teach was given only to the twelve. Okay? Because they have full knowledge, unlike the crowds, of everything that Jesus taught. Because there were things that Jesus taught to them privately, like the meaning of the parables. He would explain that to them privately. The people, the ones who received the, full, the whole teachings of Christ, are not the people, but the twelve. Because they were always with Him. And because they knew revelation from God, they knew exactly what God uh, wills and what, what are God's moral commands, they alone know the context of forgiveness. You understand that? So, what, since you commit, whatever sins you forgive, they're forgiven because they know which sins are forgiven. But in the teachings of Christ, there are certain things that cannot be forgiven. And they know that. Example. Sins that cannot be forgiven. In the teachings of Christ, in the Gospels, that the Apostles learned. Blastic grieving. We all grieve the Holy Spirit as Christians. By our anger and our sins against relationships. Is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit committed by the Pharisees and the scribes? No, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They declared the works of Christ as the work of the devil. Uh, you, you, you don't remember that? And let's go to Matthew chapter 12. See, they know this. They know what sins will be forgiven, and they know what sins are not going to be forgiven. That's why Jesus entrusted them the authority to declare. Forgiveness or non-forgiveness, okay? So take a look at uh, verse 31 of Matthew 12, 31 to 32. He's he he commenting on the Pharisees claiming that he was casting demons by the power of Beelzebub. Or Beelzebub. And this is what he has to say about these religious leaders. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Do the apostles know this? So they know. They understand that. So they have the authority to declare forgiveness or not forgiveness depending on the sin because they know the teachings of Christ. Okay? Now, we know also the teachings of Christ because they had been written down and handed down to us in the New Testament. On the basis of that, we can declare you're forgiven. We can declare, sorry, that sin cannot be forgiven. That's the context. Okay? So because they were the only ones who knew it, they alone have the authority to declare forgiveness or non-forgiveness because they knew the entirety of Jesus' teaching about the subject, about forgiveness and sin. But now we know that also. So all of us have the right to say, Oh, God has forgiven you. Kasi pinapatawad mo yung kasalanan na yan. Blast me, oh, sorry, hindi yan pinapatawad. <laughs> Pero bihiraman natin sa sabihin yan. <laughs> the sin of blasphemy of spirit is willful, willful, against clear evidence to the contrary. Okay, so here we are. In us, alam nila, this can only be the Holy Spirit, but because of jealousy, they intentionally 
twisted the truth. And that's why it is a deliberate, intentional blasphemy. And that cannot be forgiven. Okay? Take a look at the context. Uh, verse 25 and following, uh, verse 24, you see how Christ explains what he's trying to say. But when the Pharisees heard, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. 25. Okay? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every seat or house that divided itself it will, not, will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How, this, how then can his kingdom stand? So he starts saying, you know what you're saying and accusing. You know in your heart that cannot be true because you're saying Satan is coming against himself. I don't know that's not nonsense. He's saying, alam niyan may katotohanan eh, binabaluktot niyo pa rin. Because of jealousy against Christ. Okay? I mean, don't you, niyo nakukuha, yung sinasabi niyo is illogical, nonsensical, and self-contradictory. Why would you resort to such arguments? Na alam niyo, baluktot, saka out. Contradictory. How can Satan fight against Satan? I mean, you know that. Buti pa si Nicodemus. Nicodemus, ano yun? Pharisee yun, di ba? Hmm. Ang sabi niya, Teacher, we know you are from God. Because no one can do the works of you except God be with him. So a Pharisee is saying, you cannot perform those miracles or drive out those demons unless God is with you. That's why I know you are from God. Here is an honest Pharisee. So yung ibang Pharisees, don't they know that? That nobody can perform these things except by the Spirit of God? They know that. But why do they willfully distort it to convince the crowd not to believe in Christ? And the Holy Spirit was already touching those people. And they're trying to change that by, oh, by the devil. Look at what you're saying. Does it even make sense? You know better than that. But you're trying to delude the people because of your jealousy. That is intentional, deliberate blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. With full knowledge, that can never be forgiven. So in short, only unbelievers can commit that sin. Only unbelievers can commit that sin. Christians can come close to that sin like, Oy, mga prophecies, sa demonyo lahat yan, mga prophecies na yan. Kajenwa, sa demonyo yan. Sino nakasabi na ganun? Ako, sinabi kayo before. Sa demonyo lahat yan. Because I was a cessationist. Convinced Baptist cessationist. And that's the prophecy of the demonio Lachian. Salamat na Dios na buksan yung matako ng salitan ng Dios. Now listen to this. Was I guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as described by Christ in Matthew chapter 12? Do I fit the description? Was it deliberate with full knowledge, trying to distort and twist the facts that I already know? It was done out of ignorance. That doesn't qualify as the sin against the Holy Spirit. Because it was done out of ignorance. This is deliberate. With full knowledge. And nonsense yung sinasabi nyo. Nicodemus nga eh. Imposible magawa mo yan kung wala ang Diyos sa'yo. Yun ang honest parisi. Malinaw na ba? So sino pwede magkasala ng ganyan? Deliberate, intentional, with full knowledge. Willful. To, with, a, with the intention of deluding or deceiving the people, distorting the facts. Sino? 
Okay, clear na? Ang question? Okay? So, Christians cannot commit that sin. Only unbelievers can commit that sin. Because of their hardness and stubbornness of minds. Okay? So, let's go. So, all the apostles were foundations. Not just Peter. Okay? And of course, the Catholics say, of course, we agree with that. Okay? But these are scriptures that show that all of them are equal, but there are scriptures that show that Paul, Peter has the supremacy. Okay? <laughs> all of them have equal authority as the foundation of the church. That means the teaching authority rests on them. That's the foundation. That's where the teaching authority is. Okay? The twelve foundations of the New Jerusalem are the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So they are foundations. Not just Simon Peter. Is that clear? But we agree Simon Peter was given supremacy in his time. Primacy. But that cannot be repeated in history. Yun ang claim na Catholic Church. It is repeatable. Yun ang claim nila. Okay? So, application of the authority to bind or to lose is in 1 Corinthians 5 and the Corinthian elders are part of the exercise of that authority. Okay? See, can we see it here? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of kind that it even speaking to tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud so that you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship. Dapat siya na ano na yan, na discipline na yan. Who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present because I am an apostle, I am with you in the spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Sino mag-hand over? Si Paul? Who's going to hand over this person? See who will hand over this person to the devil, to Satan. Who? The gathered, assembled believers. Right? Right? Is that very clear? So the authority of binding and losing is also given to the church. Right? Okay. So that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, because this is temporal judgment. It can, according to 1 Corinthians 11, it gave the form of weakness or sickness or even premature death. So yun ang iniisip ni Pablo rito. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, which can take place either as sickness or premature physical death. So that his spirit may be saved in the Lord's day. So save pa rin siya. Kaso lang, napaaga yung uwi. Bigas ulo. No. No. Jesus gave the authority to the disciples. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Well, Paul said that, right? And he gave the authority to whom? To the elders of Corinth. Church of Corinth, right? Okay? So the binding and loosing is given also to all believers in Christ. Not just the twelve apostles. Okay, is that clear? Okay. Now, do you notice the language here? Does it sound familiar with Matthew 18, 15 to 18? <laughs> Where two or three are gathered in my name, they are mine in their midst, and the Lord Jesus Christ is present because you are gathered together in His name. So the purpose of that is discipline pala. <laughs> you gather together in the name of Christ, and if two or three are here, it will be granted to them. What is the prayer? We'll hand him over to Satan, Lord. It shall be granted. 
Yun ang context ng Matthew 18. Because the context is discipline. <laughs> Can you show please uh, Matthew 18:15 to 20? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This was given by Christ in the context of church discipline. Including the wherever tore to your garden in my name. Including whatever you ask. As, uh, if you, you, two of you agree about Because it needs you need two or three witnesses to establish a fact. Okay? So two or three establishes a fact. Okay? So whatever you ask, if two or three you agree, you're gathered in my name, you say, Lord, we declare handing over of this person to the Satan, it shall be done for them. Because the context is discipline. flow, yung flow ng thoughts of Jesus. Yeah, no? You just talk about binding and losing, right? Which is the exercise of discipline. And in the light of the discipline, he says, I assure you, if two or three of you, because you, you are there, agree, it shall be done for them. I want you to master the language. Master how Jesus said it. Okay? Nabasa dyan lahat. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and show those verses again. Verse 1 up to verse 5, and you'll be surprised, it's using the language of Matthew 18. It's using the language of Matthew 18. Okay, here you are. Matthew, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 5. Okay. Now tell me if you can see Matthew 18, 15 to 20 here. Okay. Can you see Matthew 18, 15 to 20? And the Paul is applying the teachings of Jesus about discipline. Look at the similarity of language with Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Look at the similarity of language. Especially the last part. Verse 4 to 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Aren't those resembling the language of Jesus in Matthew 18, 15-20, which is all about discipline? So this has been given to all believers 
not just to the Pope and the Cardinals. Right? Because these are norm, or, or, simple Christian, Corinthian believers. But this, ah, but you see, the presence of an apostle is required. Paul had to be there. Because the people there did not know about the teachings of Christ. And they need somebody to represent Christ among them. Right? But is that required for all ages? You know, question. Did Paul say, you cannot do this unless an apostle is present? I never saw that teach, Paul teaching that. Okay? So, let's go back. So, do you see similarity of language where Torte are gathered, assembled in the name of Jesus Christ? And then, there will be a request to turn over, and then Jesus said, if Torte agree, it shall be done for them. Because where Torte are gathered, I am there. The presence and the power, you see, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. The power of the Lord, because I am there. To do what you ask me to do. The power of the Lord is there. To hand over this person to Satan. Okay? Pero, eh, Pastor, hindi natin magagamit yung verse 20. It's a prayer. Yung prayer meeting. Pwede naman. Pwede naman. <laughs> Pero Jesus is not there to answer your prayers. <laughs> Jesus is there to mediate for you. Okay? Because he is, everything is prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. Pero this promise is given in the context of discipline. Because the, press, the presence of Christ is necessary for, to authorize this act of turning this person into, uh, turning over, handing over to Satan, that requires the power of Christ. That's why I am there. And it shall be done for you. That's the context. But you can take it out of context, okay lang. And use it for prayer meetings. Pero ito nagsabihin ko sa inyo. Whether two or three are gathered or not, the Lord is with us naman all the time. I am with you always up to the end of this age. Amen? You don't need for two or three to gather for Jesus to be there. Amen? Because He is always with us. But of course, when we gather together as the church, He delights in that. Because we comprise the temple now, upon which He lives, in which He lives and dwells. Okay? So, context, context, context. Okay?